Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. to Daniel chapter number 6, we understand historically uh, the kingdom of Babylon uh, has uh, changed hands and now it's no longer simply the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, But Babylonia has been taken over by the Medes and the Persians. Of course, uh, sometime uh, in the last couple of years or so, Brother Tommy handled these uh, verses and talked to us a lot about how Babylon in the book of Daniel chapter number 2, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon's that head of gold, and Medio Persia would be uh, the uh, would be the arms and the breasts of silver, and that image, that uh, prophetical image that was set up in Daniel uh, chapter number two. By the time we uh, come to this passage, we have been through uh, the the glory days of the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel chapter number one, we find an account of uh, the change of the governmental powers in the kingdom of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has taken over the throne and uh, he has uh, taken over uh, the, the he's taken over Jerusalem he's taken uh, these uh, uh, Jewish um, children young people uh, and has entered into a period of, uh, of, of Hebrew history known as the Babylonian captivity chapter number one Daniel and uh, as, you, as you have uh, come to know them Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego those uh, young individuals that had great gifts and had great abilities that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to use uh, for the building up of uh, Babylon. Uh, they have been brought into his under his authority, into his reign, and he is using them for his purposes in uh, chapter number one. In chapter number two of course you find Nebuchadnezzar's dream and uh, about that prophecy that only Daniel can answer. Uh, in chapter number three of course we find uh, the Nebuchadnezzar creating that image of gold and uh, how he is obsessed with gold. God has told him in chapter 2 that you're going to be ahead of gold. And as my friend, Brother Austin Wagner, has preached out of this text that uh, the being the head of gold went to his head. Amen. And uh, he created that uh, great statue of gold and told them to bow everyone in the kingdom to bow down to commit idolatry and to worship. And then uh, you, of course, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. Uh, they said that they were not af- they were not afraid to answer the king's commandment, and God delivered them uh, from the fiery furnace. Amen. Uh, Daniel chapter number four, we see Nebuchadnezzar's pride and how God abased, how He brought Nebuchadnezzar low. He deposed him off of the throne and He put him out in the field like a wild beast. And God humbled Nebuchadnezzar in chapter number four, gave him back the kingdom for a few years uh, prior to his death. In chapter number five, we find that uh, we find that there has been a successor uh, to Nebuchadnezzar by the name of Belshazzar, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, co-regent with Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king over Babylon at the time, and how Belshazzar created that feast and uh, was he used the uh, goblets of the temple to have a drunken party with all of the lords of his kingdom and all of those in authority in his kingdom. And God 
God saw that wickedness and God saw that idolatry and wrote the handwriting on the wall and let Belshazzar know that his kingdom had been counted, it had been uh, concluded. God said, I have, I have numbered the days of your kingdom. I have finished it and it's done. Belshazzar died that day and the kingdom was overthrown in Babylon as far as what it had known under the glory days of Nebuchadnezzar was no more. And now according to the last verse of chapter number 5, a leader by the name of Darius or Darius the Median has taken the kingdom and that is where we find ourselves in chapter number 6. Chapter number 6 verse number 1 of the Bible is letting us know about uh, how the kingdom under uh, Darius had been set up. And what did Belshazzar had his lords that served under him. And now we find that Darius here uh, has a group of individuals that he calls princes and the presidents. Uh, these princes here, verse number one said that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, 120 providential governors, people uh, that would be over different regions in his kingdom. These would be low level local leaders. And uh, the Bible tells us a little bit about the, uh, that he, the Bible said that it pleased him. He was pleased, satisfied. He saw it as an excellent or a wonderful thing that even he as a king had people that were delegated to work for him and uh, to uh, be able to keep account of what verse number 2 said. The Bible said you had those princes, those 120 princes. Verse number 2 said, and over those 120 princes, he had three presidents. He had three emirs, overseers, if you will. And uh, Daniel was the first of all of those. He was the chief president. Now, this is just uh, uh, food for thought, but it uh, doesn't really have much to do with the message. But I will say this this morning. Chapter number 5, it ends with Belshazzar saying, if you will do what, uh, what I cannot do, and you will do what my lords cannot do, and what my soothsayers cannot do, and what my men cannot do, I'll make you third highest in the kingdom. I will make you a three-part ruler with me and my father. And here when we come to chapter number 6 and verse number 2, isn't it just like God, amen, where the pagan king says, I'm going to make you third in the kingdom. And here we find evidence that after Daniel obeyed God, amen, God here is making him second in the kingdom. The chief president underneath the king, amen. And when the world says, I'll make you third, God says, I'll take it higher than that. Amen. And God blessed him in his life in that regard. The Bible said these, uh, this setup of the princes and the presidents was for the purpose that the princes might give an account uh, unto those presidents, unto them, and the king should have no damage. The king set this up as a leader that had what I believe to be great leadership qualities, if I can uh, put it in uh, that regard. History uh, does look at Darius in a, a very favorable light as, comp as compared to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Uh, he was known for his kindness. He was known for his sympathy and his understanding. We'll see that some here uh, in this passage. But uh, what Darius is doing is he is changing the kingdom now that he has taken it over and he has put these people in authority to make sure that the kingdom runs smoothly, to make sure that they're not financially being lost, uh, having any losses by anyone uh, trying to take uh, anything from the kingdom. He's wanting to make sure that there are no lapses in 
judgment uh, as to how the kingdom fares uh, from a national standpoint. I believe Darius wants the best for the kingdom here. And he has put these individuals in place that there should be no damage. Verse 2. Verse 3 said, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over all the realm. In verse number 3, it talks about his excellent spirit and how his excellent spirit, how having a spirit of excellence had caused the king to view him favorably. Amen. And how in verse number 4 and in verse number 5, it caused all of his companions, those uh, presidents and those princes, those that would have been uh, the companions and uh, the, those on equal uh, of equal rank with Daniel uh, to be jealous of him because of the favor that his excellent spirit had procured him with the king. And I'm going somewhere. But let me say this this morning uh, before I forget to say this. Look with me uh, real quickly here at that phrase, excellent spirit. Uh, look at that this morning. Amen. Where the Bible talks about there was an excellent uh, spirit uh, within Daniel. Amen. Let me say this this morning. I think about that uh, excellent spirit uh, that he has here. Uh, the word excellent in our Bible, when you think about what the word excellent means, Barnes uh, said that it means to be more uh, than enough. His spirit, his, uh, his uh, spirit before men was more than excellent. It was more than enough. It was superior. He didn't just do the bare minimum when it came to having a good spirit around people. He went above and beyond. I found this interesting there in verse number 3, that word excellent in the Hebrew language uh, is a word that is combined from two different elements that combine to create the thought of excellence. Amen. And now again, I'm telling you I'm going somewhere with this, okay? This is not John 3, 16. This is Daniel chapter 6, okay? I'm going somewhere. But notice this here in the passage. The, the word excellent, it carries with it a pictograph of two sticks that have been crossed. Now, hold on. And the other pictograph part of this word is the symbol for the head of a man. In other words, when you combine these in the Hebrew language, it is meant to represent the mark of a man. What marks that individual? What they are known, uh, what is known about them? What, when you look at them, what kind of action, attitude, activity, what kind of perspective does that you know, embodies who that person is? You've ever known somebody in your life to where you'll see them and you just say that I think about some men in my life you meet them and the first thing that comes off across about them that's a humble person or that is a intelligent person or that is a generous person or you meet someone that is a wise person or that is an arrogant person that is a that is a wicked person and so it is when you come in contact with them what mark is upon them and brother Lewis I thought this was interesting about that first Hebrew word it means the crossing of two sticks literally when you look it up in the Hebrew it looks like this Amen. Uh, uh, amen. Amen. What marked 
Daniel. It was his excellent spirit. What does it mean to have an excellent spirit? Brother Gary, if that means anything to you like it means to me, it means that Daniel had a Christ-like spirit. Amen. He was marked, and I understand this is Old Testament. I understand this is pre-Calvary. Amen. But in our understanding today, if we were to have an excellent spirit like Daniel, we have got to be people that are marked by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when people see us, they look at us and say, that's a Christian. That's a godly person. That one knows the Lord. Amen. If you have a Christ-like spirit, you will have an excellent spirit like Daniel did. And here the Bible said that the king noticed his excellent spirit and those that worked with him and those that were around him noted his excellent spirit with the king it gave them favor and with uh, the, those that were uh, equal with him it made a foe out of him in their mind. They were jealous. All of these verses, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, those verses we've read together, they speak of the testimony of Daniel. I put it this way, thinking about this uh, chapter. This is, and I have different I words that go with the different chapters. I'm not going to get into those this morning. But Daniel is the, Daniel 6 is the integrity chapter of the book of Daniel. It talks about the integrity. It talks about the character that Daniel had. It was his testimony. It was what marked him. Let me ask you this question this morning. What marks you? When people look at you, what are you marked by? Do you, are you marked by an excellent spirit like Daniel was? Are you marked by having a Christ-like spirit, a Christ-like attitude that goes forth into Christ-like actions and activity or not? Daniel here speaks to us very convicting words about being people of integrity and more than just being people of integrity, but being believers, being Christians, being children of God, that when they are marked, they are marked by what they claim to be. There are so many Christians that claim the name of Christ, and they're not marked anywhere on them by how they live their life, and they conduct their business, and by their attitude. Nobody would be able to guess that they even belong to Christ. Here this morning we find Daniel's testimony being examined through this chapter. And with the help of God this morning, I want to preach on this subject, a testimony that cannot be tanked. Y'all know what I mean by that. If you say, well, that person showed up to the interview and they just tanked it. You know what that means? It means they did a horrible job. It means they absolutely just fell on their face. Amen. Can I tell you here in Daniel chapter number 6, we find a testimony in Daniel's life that was tried. They tried to tank it, and by the end of the chapter, they found out that it could not be tanked. No matter all of the, all of the onslaught of the world and all of the opposing forces against Daniel, they could not touch nor tank his testimony. So I want to talk to us a little bit about that this morning. I hope and I pray that all of us, if we don't have one already, we will strive to have a testimony that cannot be tanked for the honor and the glory of God. Amen. Let me begin by saying this this morning. Daniel's testimony was clean. 
Look at verse number 3. Daniel's testimony was clean. Notice the Bible says this in verse 3. The Bible said, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes. It tells us why. Because an excellent spirit was in him. Now let me say this. Notice the Bible does not say that an excellent spirit was on him. It does not mean that this excellent spirit was something that was external. I believe we've all known people in our Christian life that they might for a few moments when they're in your presence be able to put on the facade of an excellent spirit. They might be able to say the right things. They might have the right lingo. They might look and sound and act like everything's okay. But on the inside within them their spirit is far from excellent. You know, the Bible says, and I know that the lost world out here has taken this as a way to try to, uh, to, try to uh, explain away anything that has to do with the outside, to try to make it as an excuse for their tattoos and make it an excuse for their piercings and make it an excuse to dress immodestly and all the things that's out there in the world today. But the Bible does say that it is God that does not look on the outward appearance, but He looks on the heart. Right, right. Amen. And that's not to say, well, God ain't looking on my outside, so I can do whatever I want to do on the outside. I can wear the short skirt. I can wear the, hey, man, guys, you can't just preach on short skirts anymore. If you look out in the world we're living in and see the shorts some guys are wearing, hey, man, you can be immodest. By the way, God's definition of covering your nakedness has nothing to do with just having clothes on. You study that Bible. The definition of nakedness is between the loins and the thigh. If when you're sitting and standing it does not cover down to your knee, male or female, you are naked in the presence of God and others. When he talks about looking on the outside, not the inside, it's not saying, well, I can be as naked as I want to be. It's not saying I can be as, as I can be as sinful looking as I want to be. That's not what it's talking about. What it's saying is, is that God is much more concerned about the inside than He is the outside. God is concerned about the outside. Amen. God is concerned about the inside. Amen. But God wants the inside to be real and not just be an external thing. Our Christianity, our testimony for the Lord, our walk with God. Friend has God to be more than just an external facade of religiosity and false false spirituality. It's got to be more than something that is faked. You know, you can fake being religious very easily. You can. I'll be honest with you. Most of us in here that are genuinely saved, we have, uh-huh. including your preacher at times. And I think every one of us can do this right here and say amen. amen. Every one of us has not been right with God, but we know what right with God looks like in front of other people, and we faked it. We put on the right clothes. We carried our Bible. Some people look at this right here. They say, man, look how right with God he is. If you got on the right clothes, come into church, put on a fake smile, you walk into church like this right here. Seems like some people think the higher your Bible gets, the more spiritual you are. Amen. <laughs> Hold it up here. I'm coming into church. I'm right with God. I'm spiritual. Amen. 
And you're amen, brother. You never, you would never know the thoughts they've had that week, the arguments they had on the way to church, the unconfessed sin they've got in their heart and life, the iniquity. You, there's people that'll come to church and they've dressed right and they've got their Bible held high and they've got it in their hand and they're ready, they're ready to go as far as the service looks, but in their heart they are as backward against God. There's anger in their heart against the Lord. There is an attitude where they, as far as you would think, lost people that hate God can look religious. Religious, and they're filling our churches. You say, preacher, are you saying we ought to kick them out? No, we preach the gospel to them just like we do the saved folk and hope God gets their heart right with Him. Amen. 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 But at the same time, it's easy to be faked. Daniel here, when it says there was an excellent spirit in him, the Bible is saying that with Daniel, it went further than just the surface. It went deeper down than just the surface. It was something that was truly in him. Amen. Let me ask you this morning, what's in you? Down in the depths of who you are, in the realness that exists between you and God, What's in you? His testimony was clean. The Bible said there was an excellent spirit that was in him. And because of that, the king thought to set him over the whole realm. By the way, I know this is not necessarily real spiritual of preaching, but it does pay to be good to people. Amen. This king that, as far as we know, very possibly has no relationship with God at all, said, I'm going to put Daniel over all my realm, not just, not just over this particular area in my kingdom, not just over as an overseer. I'm going to let Daniel touch everything that belongs to me and have authority in everything that belongs to me. And God said it was because he had an excellent spirit. Notice verse 4 and 5. These are the things I mentioned earlier that is so convicting to me. The Bible said, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Notice the Bible here says that they sought to find occasion against Daniel. They were so filled with jealousy at the preferential treatment that Daniel was getting from the king. And he was on equal plane with us a few minutes ago. He was a president just like the other three of us. He was, he was uh, just, just over the princes uh, just a little while ago, just equally the way we are. And now he is preferred before us. And, and the, the king, Darius, wants him to have authority in everything and not give us the same uh, level of authority and the same level of faith. They were jealous. And by the way, it is amazing what jealousy will cause you to do. Here the Bible says, because of their jealousies, they sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They tried. They were diligently looking. They were seeking. They were endeavoring. They were racking their brains to try to find an area as far as his leadership in the kingdom was concerned that they could charge him with, that they could try to bring him down, that they could try to get him ousted from his position. And the Bible said, and all the things that he did concerning the kingdom and all the things that they noticed were marked about his life and in every way that you could observe and seek and, and try to discover fault in Daniel, they said they could not find fault in Daniel. Now let me say this. I do believe here, and the more I study Daniel chapter 6, Brother Tommy, the more I, in this passage I see Daniel as a type of Christ. 
the Bible here does not mention anything wrong that Daniel did, although we do know that if you look hard enough, Daniel was a sinner just like we are. Daniel had his faults, he had his failures, he had his flesh, amen. He was a human being born in Adam's race just like we are. He did have sin, but the Spirit of God here in inspiring the Word of God and preserving it for us does not mention any fault of Daniel. Why? Because those that looked at his life could not see any. I believe it's God's will. And I'm not saying we've all, including this preacher, we've, any of us have arrived at this place. But I believe it is God's will for all of us that the only time that our sinful nature should be, should be known and seen and acknowledged is by us in the, in the recesses of our own heart. I believe, not, not I'm saying that's not where we are. I'm saying I believe that God intends for that to be the goal. Until we get to heaven, our sin nature will never be eradicated. But at the same time, the Bible gives us so much, so many principles on how to live and how to walk with God. I believe that even though I am sinful, you should never have to see me engaged in activities of sin. That's having a good testimony. People that see my life should be able to look at my life and say, I see no fault no occasion to charge him with anything. I believe that's the goal. That's where Daniel here, the Bible said, as they combed through his life. And let me tell you this. If you are looking for a reason to find fault, a lot of times it will be very easy to find fault. They're looking for fault. And the Bible said they can't find it. What an amazing testimony that is. If y'all look hard enough, and I hope you don't, you look hard enough at your preacher, you can find fault. If I look hard enough at you, I can find some probably. If you look hard enough at each other, you can find some. And with our human nature, a lot of times the fault we find doesn't even have to be true. It doesn't have to be factual at all, but we found some fault. Here the Bible says that these men could not find fault. I would say that is a clean testimony. Amen. The Bible here goes on to say that his life was so clean when it came to his activity in the kingdom. Verse number 6 said, and these men, uh, then said these men, we shall not find any occasion. It got to the place where they looked so hard and so long and they couldn't find anything. They said there's only one, one way that we'll be able to find fault in him and as if we can create a fault concerning the law of his God. I think here now Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But as I read verse number 6, it seems to me that God is placing an emphasis between the testimony that he has, the faultlessness that they could find in his life, that they, that they are comparing what they're seeing in Daniel or the lack of what they're seeing in Daniel with the fact that Daniel has the God that he has. In other words, we can't find fault in him in anything but the only thing that we can discover in Daniel's life is that he has a relationship with his God. Amen. Let me ask you this. When people look at you, it's the only thing they can discover about your life is that you have a relationship with God. 
here? Do, do, can people even tell that you have a relationship with God? Is that what marks us? Is that what people see about us? The, uh, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How in the world did these men know? How in the world did the king know? And these uh, leaders underneath the king, how did they know an excellent spirit was in Daniel? Something was inside of him. There was something down in his heart. A relationship with God that came forth in the way that he talked. It came out in the way that he lived. And they said, that Daniel, he's got an excellent spirit. We can't charge him with wrongdoing in any area, but one thing we do know about him, one thing we do is clearly able to be noted about Daniel is that he has a God. The personal ownership there, it's his God. He has such a relationship with God that whoever that is, he prays to. And whoever that is, he spends time with. And whoever that is, he talks about. And whoever that is, that is made to change in Daniel, that separates his spirit from our spirit. Whoever that is, is Daniel's God. Amen. By the way, can I say this? God's the one that makes the difference. Yes, what separates a child of God from the wickedness of the world? It is the fact that we have a personal relationship with the God of heaven. And if you're no different than the world and claim to be saved, it could be because God in your life is still something very distant. And it's not something personal. He has God. He has personal relationship with God. It may be you're saved by the grace of God, but you don't have a close relationship with Him, and therefore your testimony is not clean. There's plenty of blemishes in your testimony. I wonder tonight, do you have a clean testimony this morning? Do you have a clean testimony? Number one, Daniel's testimony was clean. Let me pick up and say this. Daniel's testimony was conspired against. Verse number four, the Bible said they sought occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. The Bible said there in verse number 6 that they couldn't find any occasion against him except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Verse number 6, the Bible said then, because his testimony was clean, because they couldn't find fault, because they realized that the only thing he's marked with is having a close personal relationship with his God. Not the gods of the Persians, not the gods of the Medes, not the gods of the former empire of Babylon, but he has a God that's different and that changes him unlike our gods. By the way, why did those gods not change the Medes and the Persians? Why did their gods. They had multiple gods. They have more gods than we do. How is it that a hundred of their gods couldn't change them one iota? But there's one God in Daniel's life that made the difference for him. It's because their gods are false. And Daniel got plugged into the one true God of heaven. Amen. And the God that is alive. Amen. I'm amazed as I study the book of Daniel. The very fact that these men, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, all of the wise men and Chaldeans and soothsayers and magicians and astrologers, why they still have a relationship with their God in the first place? The only thing, Brother Tommy, you told through the book, tell me if I'm wrong. The only thing they should have ever learned about their gods is their gods, nor the ones that serve their gods can help them at all. That's right, preacher. That's 
That's right. The only God that was working in Babylon, the only God that was working in the uh, Babylonian Empire, the only God that was working in the Medio Persian Empire, the only God that worked in any of those pagan worlds was the God of Daniel. Amen. Amen. By the way, he's not just Daniel's God. Thank God he's my God. Thank God he's your God. This morning, if you're saved by the grace of God, and I'm telling you, the gods of the world don't have anything to offer you. They can't change anything. They can't save a soul. They can't change a life. They can't put a family back together. But Daniel's God can, and my God can. Amen. Because of the realness of his God. And they knew he had a relationship not with a little G-O-D, but with a capital G-O-D God. They had to conspire against his testimony. The Bible said then, these princes, presidents and princes, assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. They give that honorary greeting to the majesty of their kingdom, the royalty in their kingdom. Verse 7, notice this, he says all the presidents of the kingdom. By the way, if you study those first few verses we've already talked about, that would include Daniel. These men have started out to conspire against Daniel, and in their first words to the king, in their, uh, in their conspiracy, amen. Y'all didn't think y'all would hear me ever use the word conspiracy in the pulpit, amen. In their conspiracy, they automatically enter into falsehoods. They lie. They, so they tell King Darius, all the presidents are on board with this. All the, all the governors, all the princes, all the counselors, all the captains, they have all consulted together. They're all in on this. It may have been all of them, but one. Daniel wasn't in on this. They're lying on Daniel. The Bible says here, and by the way, no doubt in my mind, that when they said all the presidents have consulted in this, that was all Darius needed to hear. He's not concerned about what those jokers in front of him are saying. When they said all the presidents, Darius said, I've got three, and one of them is Daniel. And if it's okay with Daniel, it's okay with me. They're using, without using his name, they're using even Daniel's influence that he got from his excellent spirit and that he got from his relationship with God against Daniel. He says, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, princes, counselors, captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition, a request, or a prayer of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which alters not. In the Mede and the Medo-Persian Empire, once a king had signed something into law, it could not be changed. It altereth not. Now, Darius had a lot of wisdom in how he set up this kingdom. By the way, it is a great leadership quality to be able to delegate things out. It's great leadership. 
Here we find Darius is doing that, and he has set up this kingdom in such a way to where he has great leadership, but he has failed at this point to be as in depth in in his in his uh, uh, in his inqu- inqu- uh, inquiring about this. And I think the reason why he skipped the step of digging into the details is because he thought Daniel was on board. But he didn't ask them, why are y'all coming to me with this all of a sudden? What is so important that I make a decree that no man can make a petition of any man or God? And then this should have thrown a red flag out for 30 days. Why are you so interested in the next 30 days? I know I've put you over the kingdom. I know I've put you in areas of leadership. And it's your job to report back to me, to report to the, the prince's report to the president's or the president's report back to me. I understand that. But um, do you know something I don't know? That question is never asked. I believe it's because he thinks Daniel's on board. And so he thinks there's no need to vet. There's no need to dig in. And he goes on, verse number 9 says, Wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Because of that, now this is established forever and cannot be changed. The Bible said, Now when Daniel knew the writing was signed. Notice this. Here's something else I want you to see about this testimony. Not only was Daniel's testimony clean, not only was it conspired against. And by the way, if you have a testimony, there will be times in your life it will be conspired against. There will be people that try to bring it down. It's our, it's our duty as a Christian to live so close to the Lord that even the conspiracies, even when they try to bring it down and be contrary to the life that we live for God, that we can still be blameless in anything. As Paul told the church at Corinth, that we are to give no offense in anything that the ministry, that what we're doing for God, that our outreach, that our love for sinners, that our relationship with God, be not blamed. Be not charged with blame. Be not, uh, be not uh, 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 charged with being wrong or improper. Here we see it, is, it was clean. It was conspired against. Daniel's testimony was. But can I say this? Daniel's testimony was consistent. Look at verse 10. The Bible said now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. Now remember that he knew that that writing was signed. He knew it was against the law for him to pray. Specifically, the Bible said he knew that it was against the law for him to not pray for 30 days. The Bible said when he knew that the writing was signed, that the king had made it in the law, he went into his house. Daniel had a lot of authority in the kingdom. Daniel, no doubt, had a lot of duties in the kingdom. But when the king said, when the writing said from the king, Daniel, you cannot pray. The Bible doesn't say that he said, well, I'm going to finish my work. It's almost like they said, Daniel, you can't pray. And Daniel said, okay, I'm going to take my lunch break. I've got some praying to do. He went into his house. It was immediate. Let me ask you this. Now, this convicts me in this passage. There are many Christians in our day that if it came down from President Biden, it's against the law for you to pray for 30 days. Now, that'll change after 30 days. 
But for the next 30 days, you're not allowed to pray. There's some Christians that wouldn't bother them. They wasn't planning on praying for that month anyway. Or even the one or two times that they may have, or the once a day that they may have, either, either God bless this food that I'm about to eat, amen, thank you Lord for the grub, whatever, or as I lay me down to sleep, maybe that one prayer, it wouldn't bother them if they missed that for a month. Here's when they conspired against Daniel. Here's what Daniel's life was marked by an excellent spirit and a prayer life to where they said Daniel's got such a relationship with God. He, if we double-dog dared him, if we made it against the law, he wouldn't stop praying, not even for 30 days. He wouldn't even say, well, after 30 days I can start my praying back. They knew that they could not get Daniel to stop praying for 30 days. They couldn't get Daniel to stop praying for one day. When they made it against the law, Daniel immediately said, I've got praying to do. They, they've, out, they've outlawed prayer in my country. Guess what? When they outlawed prayer, Daniel said, I've got praying to do. Amen. Let me add, again, I'm, I'm, I've been preaching long enough, but I'm enjoying this this morning. Amen. I wonder, and now many of you were around when this happened. I wasn't, but I know of it. When Madeline Murray O'Hara got prayer taken out of schools, yeah. where were the churches that said, we've got to have all night prayer meetings? Sir. That's a time when it's time to pray. That's right. That's right. When our Supreme Court said that we're going to make it the law of the land, that it is constitution, even in a constitution that says that we are guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we are going to redefine what it means that every American is allowed to have life. When we say it is now going to be the law of the land that we can kill babies in the womb of their mothers. Where were the Christians that said now is the time to get to praying? When New York, when they made their laws that not only now is it going to be illegal to kill a baby in the womb of their mothers, but now we're going to be able to take several days after birth and let the parents decide if they want to keep the baby or not and have a post-term abortion. Where were the Christians that said if there's ever been a time we need to pray, that now is the time we need to pray. When we have a nation and a government that is wanting to absolutely erode the fabric of our nation, to absolutely rob not just our nation, but the churches of our nation of their right to truly worship God. When we have a government that has said, even in the last couple of years, we will find you if you go to your sanctuaries and worship. Where are the Christians that said, now it's time to pray. Daniel's testimony was that I am going to pray. It was his everyday practice. The Bible said there in verse uh, in verse number uh, 10, the Bible said that he, that he went into his house with his windows being open. He wasn't even trying to hide it in his chamber. It, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know whether Daniel was one of those guys it's the day before air condition. He may have just left his windows open. 
It just, they were already open. And Daniel said, when I pray, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I'm not going to close them. Most of us probably would say, oh, I'm going to break the law and, and serve God anyway, even though the Bible says, amen, that it's better to obey God rather than man. Amen. That we're not to let man's law supersede God's law and stop being a child of God just because the government says it's not okay. Most of us would say, well, God, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to close these windows tight. I don't know if his windows were already open. And he decided not to close them. Either that or they might have been closed. And Daniel said, it's praying time. I'm going to let everybody know that it's time to pray. And he opened them up. I don't know why they were open. I don't know how they got open. But I know they were open. And Daniel wasn't afraid to pray. Amen. And to let people know he was praying. And the Bible said that he kneeled upon his knees three times a day. They said, you don't even need to pray one time in 30 days. Daniel said, I'm praying three times every day. Amen. Amen. He goes on here. says he prayed and gave thanks before his God. What would Daniel have to thank God about? His country is just, has just now entered into a time of persecution toward people that believe like him. You'd think he'd be scared and nervous and upset and blaming God for letting this happen to him. No, he said he thanked God. Gave thanks before his God. That lets me know that he was in the presence of God. He was before his God. He wasn't just praying in his room by himself. Amen. Now you may not have seen anybody else in that bedchamber of Daniel, but the Bible said when he prayed before his God, Daniel wasn't the only one in there. God was in there with him. He was in the presence of God when he was praying. The Bible said this as he did aforetime. He did not let the conspiracy of those princes and presidents, he did not let the decree from the king stop him from doing what he always did. Now, it is, his testimony was clean. It was conspired against. It was consistent. Verse number 12 through 15 tells us that it was charged. The Bible said here uh, that, uh, that they uh, came near and they spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Said, hast thou uh, not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered, said, the thing is true, according to the laws of the Medes of Persians, which uh, altereth not. Not. Then answered they before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, and maketh his petition three times a day. Their plan is in motion. They're charging him with wrongdoing. The Bible goes on in verse number 14 and 15 to lay that out. Because of that, the Bible said the king commanded they brought Daniel. By the way, this was against the king's wishes. They brought him into the den of lions. Not the lion's den, but the den of lions. You can have a den... Uh, that you can have a den that's meant for lions with no lions in it. You can have a lion's den with no lions, but you can't have a den of lions with no lions. It means this den is full of lions. Y'all know the story. He puts him. They put him down in that uh, in that uh, in that den of lions. Let me let me mention this, and then we'll be done uh, this uh, uh, this morning. Daniel's testimony was not only clean, was not only conspired against, was not only consistent, not only charged, but number five, Daniel's testimony was convincing. Here, notice what the Bible says there. 
In verse 16, I wish I had the time to preach this way. I want to. Verse 16 said, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Notice the, convince, the convincing nature of Daniel's testimony in the life of this king. He says, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Now, as far as we know, this is a pagan king. But there has been something about Daniel's life, and the Bible mentions that the king mentioned that he lived this way consistently. The God that you serve consistently every moment of every day. The king said, you're so faithful to him, even in times to where it would be a disadvantage for you, like when the decree is signed, like when it's illegal to pray. You're so faithful to God in the hard times for you. Daniel, when it gets hard for you, your God's going to be faithful to you. Just like you're faithful to him in the hard times, he's going to be faithful to you in the hard times. And you know what? That's exactly what God did. The Bible says here, you know the story, that the, that the next morning the king came uh, to uh, the edge of the den and he cried with a lamentable voice. There was fear in his voice. He was terrified that Daniel might have been destroyed. Verse 20, the Bible said the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Verse 21, then said Daniel on the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me. Amen. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. The Bible said, verse 23, that the king was exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no matter of hurt was found upon him. Why? Because he believed in his God, his testimony, his relationship with his God, his belief, his steadfast belief that his God was going to deliver him. The Bible said it was that, that where, that where uh, the Bible says there, that God delivered him out of the den of lions. The king was convinced that he would do it. Daniel was convinced that he was doing it would do it. Daniel lived in such a way where his testimony proved to a lost world the power of his God. Let me ask you, how's your testimony? The way you live by your testimony, what are you telling this world about the God you say you're worshiping this morning? I'm telling, I'm telling you, if you, if you have any kind of, if you have any kind of relationship with God out in the world, people will be able to see uh, something. At least they'll know, unless you're ashamed of it, at least they'll know that you go to church. Even if they just say, hey, what'd you do yesterday? And it just comes up, I went to church. At least that is part of a testimony that identifies you with God. If they know that you belong to Him, if they know that you go to church, amen, especially if they know you go to Beacon Baptist Church, amen. What is your testimony telling people about your God?
Are you showing people that you have a God that's alive? We're going to come in next week and we're going to celebrate the fact that our God's alive. Amen. It's our testimony telling people our God's alive. Is it telling people that our God is able to be trusted? Is it appealing to a lost world? You want to have a relationship with the God that I have a relationship with Him. And then in the end, not only was his testimony clean and conspired against and consistent and charged and convincing, but in verse 21 through 28, Daniel's testimony was cleared. That was why, by the way, at the end of those verses, Daniel didn't have to be ashamed of being a Christian. He didn't have to be ashamed of praying. He didn't have to be, he didn't have to apologize for anything he did. God made sure his testimony and the end of it all, despite the conspiracies, despite all the things they tried to do to his name, God made sure it was cleared in the end. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you willing to stand for God even though there might be some people that have something to say about it? Trusting in the fact that if God wants your testimony clear and He does, that God's going to be the one that will clear it. Here we find Daniel as a man who had a testimony that could not be tanked even though the world tried to do it. They couldn't bring it down because God was not willing that his faithful servant's testimony be destroyed. I'm telling you, it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not even be in your lifetime. People may say what they will, and you may have to go on serving God knowing that what they say is false. But friend, I can promise you on the authority of this King James Bible, there will be a day at the end of it all where God, who has a, is a God who keeps very accurate records, is going to set the entire record straight for time and eternity. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to fight your battles. All you have to do is live for God, keep an excellent spirit, keep a clean testimony that lets people know you have a personal relationship with God and He has changed your life and made you who you are. And no matter what may come, you stay faithful to Him and you nurture that relationship with Him and you keep praying and you keep seeking God and you keep spending time in the presence of God and you trust God to be the one that will set it all straight in the end. Amen. Aren't you glad for a God that will do that this morning? A testimony that cannot be tanked. How's your testimony this morning? Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website bbclexington.com